Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. We talked a little bit last week about, uh, uh, I didn't include this on my PowerPoint notes, but um, just sort of recap, we, we talked about um, basic principles. We talked about that we, we need to be operating in love, that that has to be the currency that drives our, our relationships. We want to do everything in love and not out of fear, shame, or guilt. It's kind of the four currencies we talked about last time. And if we're going to have successful relationships, there, you know, it starts with that foundation of love. But three keys that will help is it will be clear, consistent, and predictable. Right? I'm talking any kind of relationship. We've got to have good boundaries and good communication and good. Uh, limits, and and we've got to be clear in those things. So we, you know, when, especially like parenting, right? We've got parent. Everybody in here is a parent. Um, you you you've really got to be, you know. Hey, you need to be home at seven p.m. Mm-hmm. Right? This is the seven oh one is late. Um, it's clear, right? And and here are the consequences when you're not home on time. You're going to be grounded for the next week if you're late. Um, right, and and then you have to be consistent. So you clearly communicate, and then you have to be consistent. Well, it's Thursday. It was raining. You got a flat tire on your way. You're going to hear all kinds of excuses as a parent, rather than pick on the parent relationships um, about why they they violate the boundaries. Right, everybody pushes against boundaries. We like we will we're always doing better when there's structure. And, and we have to be, when we know that it's, when we know what that structure is, um, research, uh, it's, it makes it predictable. So if it's different, you know, imagine if the speed limit on Veterans Parkway, right, we all know what it is. It's really clear. There's a big sign. There are big signs all along the road to tell you it's 45 miles an hour, right? But we know that the real speed limit is probably more like 50 or 55 because nobody gets pulled over for going 47. So we know it's, 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 it's clear. We kind of have an understanding. That's all right. It's a little bit of a fuzzy boundary, but we know what it is. We know we can't be going 80, except for some of the people that are, I'm driving with when I'm on my way to work. Um, but um, imagine if the speed limit was different on Thursday than it is on Tuesday. And then Wednesday is a special, between three and five, you can do 60. And, and, and if you've got, uh, I don't know, this kind of car, you can do 30. And this kind of car, you can do 80. You know, if you're, if you're a pastor, you can, you can do, you know, 55. It would be chaos, right? We, we, so it has to be consistent. And, and, and why do we need that? Because we like predictability. Studies over and over, repeatedly found that people are more relaxed and they're easier to get along with when they have some predictability in their environment and in their relationships. So when we're clear about who we are 
and what we want, and we consistently display these, we become predictable and easy to relate to. One of the best things that we can begin to employ is, when we're talking about relationships, is the fruit of the Spirit, right? I think the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is largely about relationships, right? In Galatians 5, uh, 19 through 21, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And I, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also in time past, told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So not only is this important for our relationships with each other, we don't do these things. That's a long list of things. And it's not the, right? He says, and the like. There's other, you know, this is just a, this is not the exhaustive list. It's a pretty exhaustive list, but it's not all there is to avoid. But it doesn't just harm our relationships with other people. It harms our relationship with God. We, we can't practice those things and inherit the kingdom of God. This is what I call those scary verses, right? That you're, you're not going to make it if you do these things. Like, it's, it's just, you're not. That scares me. <laughs> I want to make it. I don't know of anybody else. I want to make it. So, um, but when we get to verse 22, Paul, the writer Paul here, Apostle Paul, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are all to do with relationships. It's how we treat other people. And it says, against such thing there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Right? So Paul is, is giving even more instruction on top of the fruit. Like You can't walk around all puffed up and, 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 and talking about how great at these things you are. Right? Look how patient I am. Look how, <laughs> how joyful I am. How pe- and don't provoke one another. We can't, and we shouldn't envy one another. I might be the only one in the room that struggles with that, right? You see some, you know, your your friend gets a really cool car or has a, you know, really gets a new, tr- new truck and, uh, and I'm going, man, I, I'd like a truck like that. I, you know, that's not envying, but we can, we, it's easy to fall into. Um, so this is, a, this is a guideline for us and how we can, um, this is our instruction manual, I think, if, on how can, we can relate to each other. If we will get these things. So... These are all action steps too, right? These aren't just feelings, right? Love and joy and peace, those are feelings, but these are actions that we have to take. But what if uh, in our hearts we really don't feel like doing what we're called to do, right? You ever, you ever not felt like maintaining peace with somebody <laughs> um, or, or being gentle, um, right? What... what if we don't feel like that? Are we being hypocritical if, 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 if we do the right things? Like say, I know to do it and I do it, but I really don't want to. I'm, I'm being long suffering, but I just soon you moved away and, and just never, I never saw you again. Am I being a hypocrite? No, I don't think so. A hypocrite is someone who is doing the right thing just for, for their own personal benefit. They're, they're trying to get something out of it or, or they say the right things, but they're not actually doing it. Right. They, 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 they got the right words, but they're really not right in their heart. 
But none of us are, are, are perfect yet. And when we come to Christ, we're far from it, right? We, we're, we're being born again is just that. It's a, it's a birth, right? We become new creations, and we're spiritual babies. And so we need to learn to walk and talk according to the Spirit. And that's an ongoing and lifelong process. We, we should never stop growing. One of the most dangerous things you can ever do is, is get spiritually stagnant, where you think, you know, you're, you've, oh, I've gotten to where I need to get to. Or you stop working at it. You should. We need to keep working at it just as hard on day one, and as, as we do the last day, right? We got to keep working at it. And, and if, I think a rule of thumb is: if you think you're there, you're definitely not there, wherever there is. Um, walking after Christ is a is a process. We call that sanctification, right? It's it's perfecting. He is perfecting us. We can't perfect ourselves. He perfects us, but we. We are constantly being perfected by him if we yoke up with him. That means we have to do our best to keep his commandments and to love one another. We'll improve over time, and that will show fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And so the, this definition that Paul wrote for us gives us targets. Right? This is the target. This is where we're aiming at. Um, and until these things become automatic, we need to consciously do them. We have to put after. We have to stop and think about it. And it's just like, you know, when when we learn to do anything else, when we learn to walk, right? You have, you know, kids have to kind of think about it a little bit. They 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 learn how to hit a baseball. I never really learned how to do that, but you know, you learn how to drive a car. You you you, you right? You had to stop. You're like, okay, I've got to put my apply the brake, and you know, you you start thinking about each piece, and and it takes intention and effort, and we have to be purposeful and and really be conscious about it. But eventually, things most of it becomes automatic, right? Uh, you're driving a car. You don't think when the red light. You don't stop and like consciously really think when you see a red light that you've got to put the brakes on. You just start doing it. But at first, like I said, we, we might we have to work at it, and we'll probably be clumsy. And I think when we're pursuing the fruit of the Spirit, we may be clumsy at it sometimes. Like sometimes I'm not very good at being long-suffering. That's a hard one, right? I'm not always peaceful and joyous. Um, Ephesians 4, uh, Paul says it like this, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So, so we put on Christ. I think, and I think it was, it, it was uh, Dr. Painter when he was here so talked about putting him on and you walk around in a little while and it becomes who you are. Right? He becomes us. We become more like him. Um, so the fruit of the Spirit that we listed earlier, along with other principles, that's not the total list, those are values that we should be pursuing. And when we know our values and we allow these to guide us, rather than our emotions, we will have success in our relationships. These values are like a compass, guiding us in the right direction 
towards our intended destination, towards being perfected in Christ and being like him in all ways. So Lisa's going to talk a little bit about more about what the Bible says about some relationships. Well, we all have relationships um, with friends, spouses, parents, children. And some of those relationships are easy and some of them not so much. So we can talk a little bit here today about how we can go about having good, solid relationships. And the Bible provides guidance on interactions between men and women, mankind and our Savior, and relationships between believers. Knowing these truths can help us to make decisions and to navigate um, in a righteous manner. So if a passerby came by and asked you, who is Jesus? How would you answer them? Is he simply a man or a prophet? Maybe he's just someone that you know about and that's all. But the Bible assures us that he is the son of God and that he is our hope in salvation. He forgives our sins. He restores what is broken. He is closer than a brother. He walks with us beside still waters. And this vital relationship stands as the foundational rock for our lives and all of our relationships. So if we will get our relationship right with God, that is going to bleed over into all of the other relationships that we have. So let's take a look at uh, some of the things um, that can help or hinder um, building relationships and some uh, Bible scriptures to go along with that. So thoughts often fuel our actions. So a lot of times we would never want anybody to know what's going on up here. You know, we keep that <laughs> pretty close. But one of the best ways to build good relationships is to consider those thoughts that just tumble around inside your mind. And Philippians says, calls us to focus on things that are true, that are noble and right and lovely and pure, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. So if our thoughts are suspicious of others, then it's going to be very difficult for us to get close enough to be able to build a strong and resilient relationship with others. Um, patience and gentleness help us to build relationships as does bearing with one another. And each of us has faults. And so we are wise to make allowances for others' weaknesses. And sometimes that is so hard. You expect other people to be perfect, or you expect them at least to do better than what they do. <clears throat> They're flesh, just like we are. And in Ephesians, it also says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering and bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So I, I 
sure I'm not the first one to say that sometimes it does take long suffering um, for us to deal with folks. Sometimes we just have to say in Jesus name, I'm not going to allow myself to respond like I'd like to. I'm going to be long suffering, Lord. Um, and you've seen the memes sometimes about I am not going out there because there are people out there. <laughs> and some of us aren't like me, aren't really equipped with that outgoing, joyful personality that can just, you know, walk into every situation and make a friend. Um, I used to follow along behind my daughter, Abby, and she showed me what it was to be friendly, to be friends with people. And so I learned that, you know, when I'm in the checkout at Walmart, I can talk to people. I can really do that and have a wonderful conversation. But I had to have a little pipsqueak really show me how to do that. Um, yeah, no, not anymore. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't work to develop meaningful relationships, even when it's difficult and it takes extra effort. And maybe it takes extra prayer. Um, that obviously those are the ones maybe that we really need to strive the most for. And sometimes, though, it's that one that God has brought into our lives that stumps us. And so patience and gentleness can guide us. And we should be the first one to reach out, and maybe that's all it takes, is just being willing to be the first one to make a move. And honesty... Honesty helps uh, to develop godly relationships and helps them to grow. And in Colossians, it's a, it implores us that do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with, these, uh, with its practices. So before we met the Lord, before we came and were washed and purified, we lied. And we were not honest in all of our dealings. And the Lord is saying, that is not who you are now. So don't lie uh, to those closest to you. And as children of God, surely we understand that it's never okay to be dishonest. Uh, speaking truth always is fundamental. Excessive exaggeration is pretty much lying, isn't it? And if our relationships are to grow, we must be honest in all of our dealings. And then, as uh, Neil mentioned earlier, love is the most impactful component of building solid relationships. In 1 Peter 4 and 8, it says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I love that word deeply. And I can think of uh, people that I love deeply. And I have to stop and think, is that how I love everybody? Or do I still need for the Lord to work in my life so that I can say, I love you and I love you deeply? If someone doesn't believe you genuinely care for or love them, you've already struck out. Um, let God's love consume you so that then it will spill over uh, to others. 
And you'll find that people are drawn to you when his love flows through you. I want to talk a little bit about relationships with other believers. And I, I feel very strongly about this um, because this is the core. Being in the church is the core and the root of who we are. And relationships and friendships with our brothers and sisters shouldn't be on just a social level, even though this is very much a part of the tapestry of the church, our social lives, it is very much a part of the, of the church. We are the body of Christ, and we are melded together as a force against the enemy. So not only are we here to fill you know, the, those more fun social times in our lives, but we're here to form a spiritual relationship with which we fight against the enemy. We are soldiers in an army fighting for the spiritual lives of our children, our community, our nation, and we should cherish the closeness of the family of God in all aspects of life, whether that is social or spiritual. And we should strive to make the church ideal for bringing new babes in from the world. And they should be able to emulate the relationships they see among us. God forbid a new babe would witness strife or jealousy or childishness in the relationships of the established saints. And thankfully, the word provides direction uh, specific to our relationships in the church. Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake gathering and encouraging one another. 1 Timothy 2, pray for everyone, including those in authority. John 13, love one another just as Jesus loved us. And Colossians 3, bear with one another and forgive. And forgive is a very important, important word or action or deed and we choose to forgive when hurtful situations come along and you know in a, in a home uh, when there are children and there's you know feelings are hurt and things that happen the parents get them together and they say you need to apologize if you did that on purpose and you hurt your brother or your sister, you need to apologize. But the flip side of that is that the other one then needs to forgive. And we must forgive. Um, Ephesians 4, 11 and 13 assures us that we are not alone. God provides helpers for growing our faith. He has provided apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers who all play a role in helping us mature in our walk with Jesus. And we don't have the same necessarily relationship with our pastor because sometimes they, they, they can't spend as much time with us as our brother and sister or as our neighbor. Um, but we need to protect that relationship that we have with our shepherd and those that teach, those that speak into our lives, that we not let 
the things of the world impact us and that we don't have ears to hear what is being preached or taught, but that we um, keep that clear line of communication open. All right, and I want to speak a little bit about marriage and dating. In Genesis 1.27, it says, God created both male and female in his image. And in Genesis 2.18, it says, God created woman as a suitable helper for man. And verse 24 of chapter 2 adds that a man will leave his father and mother to be joined with his wife, and they shall become one. And that paints a beautiful picture of marriage. And obviously, if we have not worked diligently to ask for forgiveness, to forgive when we've been asked, to be kind, that we have the fruits of the Spirit that are operating in our lives, then that marriage relationship is going to be the first one generally impacted because you're together more with your spouse than anybody else. And so we have to be extremely careful to pray the blessings of God over our home and over our marriage, um, that we not allow the enemy to bring in something that is going to cause strife between us. And that is the most, of this world, the most important relationship that we must uh, keep an eye on constantly. And Ephesians um, 21 says that uh, the relationship between Christ and the church, but it also provides solid guidance for marriage. So husbands should love their wives as their self, and wives are called to respect their groom. And Neil's going to talk about this um, a little bit later on. And in 1 Corinthians 13, that describes love but also patience, kindness, and a refusal to envy, and many of the other attributes that are talked about are important in a Christian life, but they're also important in a good marriage. And the dating relationship, sometimes it's, it's easy to get thrown off um, when you aren't certain of your own identity. Um, as Christians, our worth and who we are should rest fully in Jesus. Um, however, we're apt to place too much importance and purpose on a person rather than on God in a dating relationship. Sometimes a relationship that may lead to marriage and a, and a future the focus is so much about just moving forward and, you know, that the focus doesn't come back around to um, making sure that that relationship is built on the foundation of God's love, God's truth, and God's will and what he has for your life. Second Corinthians 6 says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? So in context, this verse pertains to believers, but it also speaks very strongly 
to those that are dating or those that are looking um, to find a mate. We should not allow ourselves to be yoked with those that don't have the same beliefs and the same purpose in life. Luke 10 mentions two great commandments. The first is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love others as ourselves. And so why don't we focus on both commandments when dating? That would be the way to do it. So the fruit of the Spirit that Neil touched on um, is full of very, very good things that we must work on in our lives. And so if that is, those are the characters that we would like to see in someone that we're dating, then we need to show those characters and have um, that fruit being shown in our lives as well. All right, Neil's going to talk about different types of relationships. Lisa, Lisa does the best job, as, of course, um, as usual. It's um, a little relationship advice right there. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I like that, too, because the, that, the idea that the fruit of the Spirit is something we should look for in somebody we're going to... Uh, allow into our lives that that's really uh, a different way of looking at it um so i'm going to go through um and i'm not going to spend a lot of time on some of these because we talk about them a lot and other people have taught on different types some of these already but in the first relationship and this is kind of I'm, I'm kind of doing this sort of as a uh you know you can think of this is the foundation and, and some of these it's sort of concentric circles um, I wanted to figure out a way to draw that, but I'm not that technologically inclined. So, um, but at the center, right, we have to be in good fellowship with Jesus. You're not going to have good relationships if you're spiritually messed up. If your relationship with Jesus is off kilter, it's going to affect everything else and, and certainly every other relationship. So if we're going to have healthy relationships with Jesus, we need to work at having a healthy relationship with him. John 15, and of course I could have probably found a hundred verses to talk about that, but I like this one, John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Oh, here we are, bearing the fruit again. For without me, you can do nothing. So you're not going to bear the fruit of the Spirit without Him. It's not happening. You'll, you'll, you'll get something that looks like it, but it won't be real. Because um, that's what everything is. Everything without Jesus is just counterfeit. So you'll have counterfeit relationships unless you are abiding in Him. And that means to, to live in Him and to let Him live in you. Um, the second one's going to surprise you. The next relationship, the next foundation piece of the foundation is your relationship yourself. You have to take care of you. you. We, If we're not taking good care of ourselves, how are we going to have good relationships with other people? right? And we think this sounds like you're being selfish. I'm not promoting being selfish, but I'm promoting being smart. Like We've all probably heard the, 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 the instructions when you get on the plane. They're like, well, if the oxygen masks come down, put the mask on yourself first. Why? Because if you pass out, you can't help your child. 
right? So if you're not taking care of you, you really, you might be able to take care of others and help others for a while, but you're going to burn out. You've got to make, and so that, that you have, there has to be something you're doing for uh, maintenance. You have to, because the state of our physical, our mental and emotional and spiritual health, that's going to affect all of our relationships. It affects everybody around you. And I'm not saying if you have some physical impairment, you can't have fulfilling and meaningful relationships, but it may be a little different. One of my favorite people on the planet is this guy named Nick Vujicic. You ever see this guy? No arms, no legs. That's the name of his ministry. He was born with no arms, no legs. And and he, I I won't go into all that. It's it's, it's an amazing, his life story is amazing. And, and, And he's now, he's done all these things they said he could never do. And including he married, he's got a couple children, and he seems like just a great dad. If you hear the guy speak, you're like, I want to hang out with this guy, like all the time, right? He's probably a great dad. I promise you he is not instructing his kids on how to play baseball. He's not demonstrating. He may tell them about it, but he does not know how to hit a baseball, right? He just can't do it, but he's probably a great dad. Okay, I'm, you get what I'm saying. But so you can speak, but if you're, if you're allowing yourself to get sick, and tired and 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 over over uh, uh, burnt out. How are you going to have good relationships? Well, if you take care of yourself, okay. right? If if you allow that to happen, it will affect your relationship. And and so that's where the third place I put up here: rest. I was just reading about this in a, in a leadership Stan Gleason's new leadership book, The Unflawed Leader. God told us to rest. <laughs> Okay, he gave us an example of rest. He doesn't need to rest, but he rested. Why? Because we're supposed to rest. And, and, and we're supposed to use some time to rest and reconnect with him. Because that's the problem. We get focused on all these other things, and we start losing our connection with him. And now pretty soon, that's off kilter, and our relationships are off kilter. Um, Israel was commanded to keep the Sabbath. Right? We all, we all know this. Part of that was to give the land rest. They had a weekly they had a Sabbath every week, yes, but there was also every seven years they were supposed to give the land rest. They were supposed to have a year of jubilee. And, but there's no record. I've just read this. There's no record that they actually ever did that. There's no historical record. And they were supposed to, they didn't follow that commandment to let the land rest because the, the Lord said that they had to let the land rest every seventh year. And they had to cancel debts and free the slaves. And, and it was supposed to be like a, a restart over and over and over but the land did get rest during the Babylonian captivity, right? And, and, and they, were, they all became slaves. So, so if you don't follow God's commandment to rest, he'll lead you to a place of rest. I, I think he'll let, that's why our bodies begin to break down. He, he's going to lead you. Psalm 23 says he makes me to lie down, okay? He'll make you lie down for your own good, right? It's not, he's not harming us. It's for our own good. Um, the, the third kind of relationship. So, so take care of yourselves physically and emotionally. We, we need to do that to have good relationships. So the next one, marriage, Lisa talked about this. Uh, the Carsons gave us a great lesson. Pastor teaches great lessons on this. Um, so I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds on this one. But Genesis 2.24, as Lisa said, uh, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother shall hold, and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I, I, that really jumped out at me as we were studying for this. Um, 
that our marital relationships have to come before other relationships. The only one that comes before that is God. I said in the Bible study we had at our house one time, I said, listen, Lisa's not first in my life, she's second. And I better not be first in hers. And you should have seen the people's faces like, what are you talking about? I'm like, because Jesus needs to be number one. Um, and so other relationships, ha- and you hear people say this all the time, and it's a little scary to me when I hear it. People are like, my children are my world. Well, I mean, that's great, but they better not be ahead of your spouse, or you are going to have a lot of problems, especially when they grow up and move out of the house and you've got this stranger you yeah. live with. Um, so uh, I said I wasn't, I'm way off my notes and I'm trying to stay on time here. Um, Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and as also Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So once in a while, and, I, and Pastor probably could tell you uh, similar stories, you, get, you, get, you have somebody come and, they, and you got some husband that says, she's just not submitting to me. And I go, well, hold on. And I touched on this last week. There's, as you go through Galatians, and, and there's some other places in the Bible as well, there's instructions for different people. Well, those aren't for you to lord over the... Uh, like, husbands, you're not supposed to... Re- that, that's, I know the Bible's for everybody, but that, that instruction to the wife is not for you. It's not for you to tell her what to do. You have to read your side, which is much longer. There's more instructions for husbands, way more instructions for husbands than there are for wives. Am I right, Pastor? And if you live up to this, right, love Christ... You're supposed to love your wife as much as Christ loves the church, which means he was willing to die for her. I spoke all this last week. I go, look at Hosea, and when you're ready to live like that, you would go publicly humiliate yourself and buy her back over and over and over, even though she keeps running out on you. If you're there, then you get to make, then maybe you can start talking about whether she's fulfilling her part. And, and we could say the same things as we talk about um, some of the other relationships, parent and child relationships, right? There, there's instructions in the same chapter, parents and children. Okay, children... And, and we're going to get, I don't want to jump, jump way ahead, but parents, there are instructions for you. You should do your best to follow them. Yes, you want to teach your children to do that, but I, I've heard parents say this, or I've heard children walking around with this guilt trip, like, you know, their, their, their parents treated them terribly, but I'm supposed to honor them. No, there, there, there's a symbiosis. There's, there, there's a partnership going on here. You're not supposed to provoke them to wrath. So some, some verses real quick on... Uh, about parents and their children. And again, there are many, um, but I got some Old Testament ones. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So what's this saying? Teach your kids the word of God. 
and then teach them some more and then teach them some more and then keep continually everywhere. It should be everywhere in your house and in your relationship with your children. Uh, 11, Deuteronomy 11, 19, teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. So it keeps talking about this. We need to be godly examples. It's not just telling them what to do. We need to live it. We teach by example. <clears throat> so Proverbs 29 and 15, a rod, uh, fifth, verse, verse 15 and 17, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. So, we, you know, we're not, this is a move right now we see culturally, right, where the kids can just choose things and, and it's whatever they feel and, and you're just supposed to support that. Well, that's not what the Bible says. It says you need to impart wisdom. You need to Use the rod. You need to reprimand them. It's okay to tell them, no, that's wrong. Don't do, you don't do that. Um, we are to, to discipline our children. Colossians 3.21, fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. This is, uh, again, this is that partnership, if you will. Like, yes, we should be uh, uh, instructing our children and, and correcting them, but not so much that they're embittered against us. We, the way we do it matters. We need to do it, again, love. When love is ruling you, when you're doing it because you love them, not because you're just frustrated or you're angry or, or, or you're embarrassed by what they did, but because you love them, you won't embitter them. But if you're doing it because you're bitter, right, they're gonna, they're gonna, we're going to shift that. Um, Proverbs 22 and 6 is start children off on the way they should go, right? I know in the King James, train up a child, right? We're all familiar with these, right? And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. I just want to point out, I, I love what uh, uh, Raymond Woodward uh, taught on this. He said, he said, you know, we need to understand the Proverbs are probabilities, not promises. So sometimes people read that and they're like, well, I, I must not, their, ch their children grow up and fall away and they walk around blaming themselves, thinking they didn't do a good enough job. They didn't train. You, if you trained them, you did the best you could. That doesn't mean, there's no, it's not a guarantee. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, it, it makes it much more likely. And I think that's what life is really all about, is we, we can improve probabilities, but we can, we, the, the outcome's not up to us. It's up to God. <clears throat> Family relationships. Um, 1 Timothy 5 and 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We need to take care of our family members. You read, through, read that uh, chapter more. It talks about, you know, don't put it on the church to take care of your family when you can do it. You should do it first. If you can't, yes, we, we, the church should care for the widows, but take care of your family members. Um, meet their needs. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another, and if one is a complaint against one another, forgiving. Lisa mentioned this verse earlier. As the Lord has forgiven you, you so you also must forgive. So how much have you been forgiven, <laughs> right? How much do you need to be forgiven? You better, you better start handing that out. Uh, I like Psalm 1, first six verses. Blessed is man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. He yields his fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, 
but are like chaff and the wind drives away. Therefore, wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of righteous. What does that have to do with family? We, we should be a congregation of righteousness. Right? We should, that's what we should be building in our families. And of course, I don't think you can talk about biblical instruction about family and not talk about Joshua 24 and 15. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Right? We all know that verse. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So there needs to be godly leadership in the family uh, to serve the Lord. Wait, wait, let me... Um, uh, friendships. That we all hopefully have friendships. First example of friendship is Jesus. Jesus is our friend. Do you know you have a friend of Jesus? Um, and he's our greatest example of friendship. John 15 uh, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So he gives us some pretty good instruction there to, uh, on how to be a friend, right? We, and I mentioned this a few times recently, that's a big call <laughs> to love as he's loved us. Lay, be willing to lay down our lives for one another. That's the mark of true friendship. And he didn't say as long as they're treating you right. Because he laid down his life for us when we weren't treating him right. Um, David and Jonathan, I won't go through that, but what a great example. You want a great example of friendship? You know, Jonathan's dad is trying to kill him. Jonathan, you know, politically, would have been smart for him to just take David out. He would have been the next king. But his friendship, his love for David exceeded that. You can read more about him in 1 Samuel 18, 20, and then in 2 Samuel 9. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Choose your friends carefully. That's what that's saying, right? Be careful. You run around with idiots, right? There's a famous, I'm going to quote the famous Rocky Balboa. You run around, what, I forget the word. You run around with idiots, you end up an idiot. That's <laughs> basically why I'm misquoting it, but that's what he said, right? Um, it, Proverbs 13 and 20, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Again, choose your friends carefully. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Uh, Proverbs 27 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It's about lifting each other up and, and pushing each other to be better. And again, this is if, when it's rooted in love, if you correct your friend or, or you call them out on something, they're not offended, right? I have friends that would call me out on, if I was doing stupid stuff, right? I hope, or they're not much of a friend. Um, Proverbs 22, uh, 24 and 25, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. So you run around with hotheads, you become a hothead. <laughs> so be careful who you choose as friends. Because, right, whoever you hang around with, I mean, this is, anybody else found this true in your life? You hang, I mean, I hang around with a bunch of idiots when I was, when I was a teenager, and I, I, I became very much like them, doing really dumb stuff. <clears throat> Hurt people hurt people, yes. You hang around with a bunch of... Now, we do hang around with the hurt, but that's where the boundaries come in, right? So, because um, we do have to help the hurting, but we have to be careful. That's different than friendship. Um, work relationships. I'm going to run out of time here, but 
Uh, work relationships, there's a lot of verses on work relationships. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. You should work like you're working for God. Because you know why? Whoever you work for did not give you that job. I just got a new job. Carl Health Foundation did not give me a job. My boss, Jim, did not give me, God gave me this job. Ephesians 4.28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. You can't sit around and collect. You shouldn't be a collector. Do something. John 6 and 27 tells us, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So again, work for the Lord. Galatians 6 tells us we should test, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For Each one should carry their own load. That's not telling us to be prideful. Don't, don't misunderstand that. But it's saying, you know, do your own work, okay? Be, be, be proud of what you do. Don't, don't try to, and don't compare yourself to somebody else. Proverbs 12 and 11 says, those who work for land... Uh, will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. You ever sit around? And, you know, this is happening a lot. This is TikTok. People are sitting around, scrolling on TikTok, and they're not doing anything. And I like a bunch of them just got fired from Twitter. I'm probably getting myself in trouble, but uh, <laughs> right. And then Proverbs 14 and 23: All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Uh, so if we work hard, we'll be rewarded. Authority. Um, this is so important, so I'm going to slow here, and it might make us a little long, but I, I really, <clears throat> I believe this so strongly. We need to understand our relationship to authority, and the Bible has a lot of instruction on this, and I don't know, uh, no, not, not criticizing my pastor, especially with him sitting in the room, but I don't know if we hear enough about this. And I think it's hard, and, and again, I'm not criticizing, but I think it's hard for somebody who is in a position of authority to talk about authority effectively. I think it is. But the first, uh, there's a lot of authority in our lives that we, and there's, there's instruction for it. God has orchestrated us to be organized and to have leaders. Um, and the first position of authority I want to talk about is our pastor. Uh, Hebrews 13 and 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. You shouldn't make your pastor groan. I know I haven't a few times, but I'm, I try not to, right? For that would be of no, it's not any advantage to, to, to frustrate your pastor. We should, and I'm going to say this, I've said this many times. I think people go, well, he's a human being. He's going to get stuff wrong. Pastor, you ever get anything wrong? <laughs> right? Well, what if he's leading me in the wrong direction? God will deal with me. Well, but he's led me, God will deal with me. Right? It's when you trust God and you understand this, he's, he's going to make it all. It's going to be all right. We can follow a leader that trusts that, that, that follows God. Uh, parents. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, we talked about being the parent, but we should have parents are an authority in our lives. Proverbs 1 says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They're a garland to grace your head, and a chain to adorn your neck. It'll make you look good and keep you away from some bad things. 
Um, Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life in the earth. And Exodus 20 and 12 says, honor your father and your mother. This, this is what is quoted in Ephesians, actually, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. There's a promise associated with that. Um, so we don't have children in here, but maybe they'll listen later on. That it's wise to listen to your parents and to honor them. Uh, Colossians 3.20 says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. There's a good reason to do it. Um, elders. 1 Peter 5 and 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We should be subject to our elders. And I think this is getting lost in our culture. Yeah. There is no respect for elders. And, 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 and where would we be without our elders? I love my elders. Uh Masters or employers, right? I, I think, you know, we could use that interchangeably. First Peter, Peter said uh, in chapter two, servants be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. It's a sort of tackling on. I said work relationships, right? Work as unto the Lord. He says, but this is for commendable because if, if conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you are do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable for God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So it does, what he's saying here is it doesn't matter how they're treating you. You still submit to your, your masters. Right? And we all have got masters. Now, I'm not saying stay in an abusive situation. That's, I don't think that's God's instruction. But he's saying, you know, if they are mistreating you, and, and, and again, we talked about this last time. What are we supposed to respond with? Don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome it with good. Because we might win them. But, but we don't do it to heap the coals. God will do that, but we might win them. Government. I won't read through it, but Romans 13, 1 through 7, let every person be subject to governing authorities. There's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. And Paul explains this here, that we should be doing this. Um, he tells Titus, his, one of his, his understudies, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. We're, we need to respect the government's authority in our lives. And, and sometimes that's hard, right? Because we don't always like who's, who's in there or what they're doing. But I don't think Paul liked the Roman government a whole lot either. I don't think he really appreciated what they were doing. Peter even said it. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether, it is, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him. So we, we, we are doing it. And again, I love how he says, do it as free, right? We're doing it because we freely can do it. Um, fear God, honor the king. Now, what happens, though, if the government is telling us to do something that violates God's command? Well, God is the ultimate authority, right? And Peter, Acts 5.29 is the example. Peter and the apostle answer, we must obey God rather than men. We should always obey God above all others. The apostles were ordered by their leaders not to share the gospel. But they refused. Why? Because Jesus commanded them. 
go bring the gospel to all nations, right? So we should always obey the highest authority possible, and there's no authority higher than God. Um, I was going to go into this, Matthew 22, right? They, they tried to trap Jesus, and they gave him the coin, and whose likeness is on there? And he says, Caesar's. And then he said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Mm-hmm. Okay? So pay your taxes. Don't worry about all that, right? It, it's not God's face on that dollar bill. Give it, give it to them. Um, and um, our community, and I wish I had more time, but we have neighbors. And one of the best Bible verses about relationships tells us about the importance of community. It says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so again, you've probably had, I've had some pretty rough neighbors and there can be horror stories in that, but we know it doesn't have to be that way. God has a lot to say about uh, how we treat our neighbors. Things scriptures tell us to do, tell the truth, don't hold a grudge, be kind to those in need, live in harmony, seek the good of others, be sympathetic, be humble. Um, there's Old Testament verses as well that you can see up there. Don't plot harm against your neighbor. How about Proverbs 14? It says, it's a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who's kind to the needy. Um, And of course, we would be remiss not to mention that Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. For the sake of time, I know we're out of time here. We know what he said, right? We know the story. And he chose a Samaritan, somebody that that his audience would have rejected. And he chose the the sort of anti-heroes in the story, right? The people that they could relate to, and so he said, you know, basically he's telling us that everybody's our neighbor. And what, is, what does the hero in the story do? He goes beyond just the basics. He, he goes over and above. And Jesus then says, go and do likewise. That's what you need to do. You need to do that on top of loving God and loving each other. And, and then the last one I wanted to mention is strangers. First Peter 2 and 11 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. We have to always be aware of what our, how our conduct appears to others. We have relationships with people all the time that we don't realize. When you're walking through Walmart, you may not say a word to anybody, but you're having a relationship with the people around you. And we should always be aware of that. Hebrews 13 and 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That's a clear reference to Lot. Right? Lot welcomed these men into his house. He showed hospitality. He didn't recognize that they were angels. God's always watching. And that worked out for Lot, for the most part, <laughs> for him. <laughs> but, but, you know, so, um, and Leviticus 24 and 22, you shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. We shouldn't show partiality. And I, I've seen this before. People treat well, well, we're, we're, we got to treat our, 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 the folks in the church better than, than, than them. There's an easy way. We can get an attitude like that. We're, we're all one. Uh, that, I think Leviticus is very, very clear here. I'm going to end with this. Um, 
Matthew 25, starting verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to me, to the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life. I think that's a beautiful verse, a beautiful piece of scripture that talks about how, you know, the stranger, you know, how should we treat people? We should do all those things because we're doing it to him. Um, I had an exercise I was hoping we'd have time to do, but these are the, 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 basically the, the relationships. Pick one of those that jumps out at you that you find really important. And begin with the journey in mind. As a seven habits of highly effective said, begin with the end in mind. But I, I want to begin with the journey in mind. How will you be remembered? Let's say it, 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 it's your funeral and somebody's talking that knew you really well and was telling the truth. So maybe it's the wake. It's in the kitchen at the wake, and somebody's really talking about. I, I, you know, I want hope my son is saying. You know, my dad was always honest with me. Well, well so. What are the values that you hope people are going to be talking about that you exemplified in these? And how close are you to them right now? Because if it's important to you, if this relationship's important to you, are you living up to those values? And, and that's what that's, makes this like a compass. It's a guidance system for us. Because we have a destination, that perfected, uh, that perfected man, that being like Jesus, it will follow the things we've just been talking about, and you keep that in mind. Instead of your emotions, because that's what we do—is our emotions get on, get in the way, or something that some hurt or some habit or something that's been going on in our lives, and we don't treat these relationships the way God tells us to treat them. We can use this like a compass and say, "How am I doing?" If we were going to go to San Diego, we'd head in this direction. And we could check in the old days, you know, it was like MapQuest. You get MapQuest and you print it out. So most of us in this room are old enough to remember that, right? And you drove around like a pirate, you know, with a highlighted little road or whatever. And you could check and be like, well, am I on, am I on I-40? Am I on the right road? That's what these things, if we treat them like a, 
a road that we can walk on and it's going to bring us to the destination. But if we don't keep checking, how do we know we're going to end up?